My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. Today on the show, we are on the countdown to the midterms and the self-destruction of Kanye West and an awful lot more. It's the Irishman in America podcast with me, Jarlath Regan, over here and Sunday Business Post US correspondent and legend Marion McKeown over there. And now for the very first time on her own feed. Yes, Irishman in America can now be found on its own separate channel wherever you get your podcast. So if this is all you want, you want to subscribe to and start enjoying pure Irishman in America in the lead up to the midterms. And of course, 2024, you'll find full extended cuts, double size episodes, as always, on patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad. Last week, Marion took her first week off in over two <laughs> years, thanks to COVID striking again. Really lovely outpouring of well wishes for you, yes, Marion. Indeed, from... I really appreciate it from everyone. It, it, honestly, I, I, <laughs> it made me feel an awful lot better than I felt, I can tell you. It is amazing what that does for you. It's like when you go to the doctor, just the fact that you're heading to a doctor can make you feel better. Uh, shout out to everybody who is in touch, including Stephanie Spencer, who sent a lovely message with so many messages yeah. in. And we obviously put out a great interview with Paul McGrath from the archive that oh. you can find over there on the main Patreon feed. But with less than two weeks left before the November midterm elections, all signs are pointing to this really strong Republican showing that would result in a switch of party control in the House and possibly the Senate. Is that still the case, Marina? Is that still the buzz over there or was that am I two days behind? You know, I am going to be completely honest with you and the gang out there, Charlotte. At the moment, I cannot get a reading on this election. Everything is upside down and inside out. Uh, you saw Liz Cheney um, t earlier today just endorsed Elisa Slotkin, a Democrat in Michigan. Uh, you know, Liz Cheney, formerly the flag bearer for old style republicanism. You had Marjorie Taylor Greene coming out today and threatening corporations. Uh, you know, you have Kevin McCarthy saying, if you vote for us, we'll stop giving money to Ukraine. Again, Republican, old style Republican hawkism. Everything is out the window. People are now just voting along with tribes. So they'll vote for any Republican who's wearing the red jersey, uh, regardless of how heinous they are or how unelectable they would appear. I, I give you Herschel Walker there as an example. And on the, and you know, and the same is true on the other side, Democrats will just vote for any Democrat. Uh, so it seems at the moment, look, the this election, you've you've got, as I said, the overweening thing to me is tribes that 
Republicans will vote for any Republican. They couldn't care less as long as it's a Republican. And I think the same is pretty well true of Democrats, except in places like Oregon, in, in traditionally hard blue areas. It looks like Democrats are moving a little bit, you know, toward, towards the red. So as I say, all the certainties, it's, it's as if you picked up a deck of cards and just threw them up in the air and they landed in different fields, not just in different rooms. Mm. Uh, so I, I'm finding it very hard to get a handle on this. And then, of course, you have Trump in the middle of it, because normally the midterms are a referendum on a president, on the sitting president. But this, mis- ref- this midterm seems to be a referendum a referendum on the former president because he won't get off the bloody stage. So nobody can even see or hear Joe Biden because Trump is there roaring about the FBI and Mar-a-Lago and document searches and flying green men and God knows what else, whatever else comes into his mind. And now he's having a big feud with Ron DeSantis. And it's like, you know, and Biden's sort of over in the corner behind the curtain going, over here, over here. I just, you know, I just said I'd forgive student loans. I just said I'd sort out the climate. I just did this. I just did that. You know, I'm, I'm banning, you know, the decriminalization of, of um, marijuana or I'm trying to. And, like, and he's also sort of waving at all the things he has done already, like things we've forgotten, like, you know, acts that, that would improve U.S. Um, manufacturing of microchips, all these things that are meant to help manufacturing. But meanwhile, as I said, Trump is pounding the stage and he's driving everyone mad, including the Republicans. But he's reminding red-blooded Republicans that this is what you're getting. This is what you're really voting for here. If you vote Republican, you're voting for the big man with the orange face who's all about, you know, keeping America white and keeping America the way it should be and the way he sees it as it should be. And so, as I say, and then you've got the other factor, as I say, over on the West Coast, in Oregon is a really good example. Uh, The Oregon, there hasn't been a Republican governor in Oregon since Ronald Reagan. Oregon is a blue safe, safe blue state. But now people in Oregon are getting fed up with things like homelessness and it's being linked by Republicans very successfully, if inaccurately, to rising crime. And they're saying, you know, they, they, they have this sort of ad out now where it's like, look what Democrats did to Oregon. They show sort of crazy flashbacks of riots and Antifa and police with batons and charging and streets full of homelessness. And it seems to be kind of working. So the Florida, the, the governor, the, um, the the sitting Democrat governor is way too close to the Republican uh, contender. And the, it, they're both women and it's both, but the momentum seems to be slightly with the Republican to a point where people are going, geez, we could lose this. You know, um, mm. Oregon, the bluest of states could go red. So you, well, sorry, Charlie, go I, ahead. Sure, but it is this whole Donald Trump won't get off the stage thing more a reflection of how he's still the most popular man in the party, or is it a reflection of him, the you know the the King Weathervane, who is sensing that this is turning towards the GOP, and this is my time to swoop in and take the credit. For that, well, you know, I think there could be a bit of that, but I think this is mainly uh, my big thing is to never overthink Trump. What you see is what you get, by and large, and what you see is a spoiled man and a sore loser who never got over being ousted by Joe Biden, and who cannot do without attention, negative or positive. He has to have attention. 
it's oxygen for him. So I think that that's the, that's the biggest thing. He's not helping Republicans in a lot of areas. I'll give you an example. On the Sunday, He's running ads for people, though, right? He's paying for stuff. Uh, is, he, no, do, not, is he putting his hand in his pocket? No, Donald Trump never puts his hand in his pocket, so forget that. <laughs> forget that. He'll tell you he'll pay for it. He'll tell you to send him the bill and then good luck, you know. But you pay up front and then try and reclaim the money. And that's how he's lived his whole life. That's how he's done his business all his life. Uh, so as I was just, uh, Ron DeSantis is running for governor again, second term, against a Democrat called Charlie Crist, who was formerly a Republican governor of Florida. I know everybody's confused because I am, but Charlie Crist back in it, um, between 2008 and 2012 was the Republican governor for Florida. What happened was Obama came down to Florida after a hurricane and Chris shook hands with him or hugged him or whatever. And all of the Republicans went so mental <laughs> that they threw out Charlie Chris then. He was, and he wasn't just thrown out as governor, he was thrown out of the party. I, like, this is how crazy, um, you know, politics have got in America. So anyway, Charlie Chris then became a Democrat. He's now a Democratic congressman. And he's now saying, OK, I'm going to run for governor again, but this time I'm going to run as a Democrat. He did try that against Rick Scott back a couple of years ago, and he nearly beat him. This time, I don't think he has a chance against Ron DeSantis. Uh, but the person who's spoiling it for DeSantis now, Ron DeSantis, again, is the Republican governor of Florida who has come out within the last year. He's basically a cultural warrior that, that makes Trump look like an amateur. He has been all over. The, he's saying crazy things about um you know, minors, under 18 year olds who are considered, who are maybe transsexual, saying they're being forced to have mastectomies and castrations. He's like coming out with all this insane stuff. He's all, he had the don't say gay bill. He also, when Disney protested, he cut their tax uh, benefits. He's fired people who don't agree with them. He fired a prosecutor who wouldn't prosecute somebody um, for an alleged crime related to abortion. He He's just a tyrant, a totally humorless, uncharismatic tyrant. But he is a popular governor. Now, he wants to be president in 2024. And he's basically said to Trump, listen, I don't care if you're running or not. If you're running, get out of the way because I'm running and I'm going to win the Republican nomination. And of course, nobody else will take on Trump. They're all terrified of him. So Trump in return is, has sort of said now, yeah, well, right, let's see if you get reelected as governor first. So next Sunday night, um, which will be the final night before the um, the, the midterm elections proper, Trump is swooping into Florida, and um, well, he lives there, so he doesn't have far to swoop. And he is going to appear at a huge rally for Marco Rubio, who is the the um, Republican Senate candidate who's running against a Democrat called Val Demings, who's pretty popular, former chief of police. She's seen as a really solid person, uh, but because Trump is going to be in town, it's got all the all the coverage is going to be on Trump. Nobody's going to cover DeSantis if he decides to do anything, um, because DeSantis is about as charismatic as the leg of a chair. Uh, so of course, all of the all of the um, media coverage. The worst the thing is when Ron DeSantis attempts a joke. Watched most of the State of the Union. I did fall asleep during it. I confess. But, you know, I got three kids, five and under. So a lot of times, by the time it gets past nine, we're we're a little we're a little tired. But uh. The striking thing is, I, you know, his script writers have written it in and they've made it as banal as possible. So it requires really, and he still manages to kill it. He still manages for it to drop like a lead balloon. But as well, his jokes, when they're his own, tend to be nasty rather than mm. funny. You know, occasionally Trump can be funny, 
you know, when he, I, I remember covering him on the campaign trail once, and I did laugh. He's talking about how if he was elected president, this is back in 2016, he's going, of course, I'm going to have to move into a much smaller, kind of shabbier house. But these are just details, you know. And like, but he was yeah. sort of laughing at himself as well, at, you know. And, yeah. and, but DeSantis is just, he's not a nice guy. This is why I don't think he will be the Republican candidate. I think he's peaked too soon for president, I mean, but he's not a nice guy. I haven't met a single person on Capitol Hill who has a good thing to say about DeSantis. He was a congressman previously. And, you know, I mean, and that's not Democrats, that's just Republicans. So there's two things that keep hitting the headlines over this side of the Atlantic. And that is one that the reason for this red wave is the economy. And the other is this huge early turnout that's taking place, particularly in Georgia. Which do you want to talk about first? Because obviously the economy is the uh, the kind of uh, reason for why this is happening. And we've gone through it many, many times that the petrol pumps is the inescapable truth in this uh, in this midterm. But the early turnout is one that I can't I can't read or understand. And similarly, with the early turnout, we're hearing reports of intimidation at the polls with people with guns wearing tactical gear, approaching people at the ballot drop locations. Uh, what can you tell us about all of right. this? Right. Okay. I'm going to take Arizona on the latter one as an ex- as a prime example of voter intimidation, which the sheriff of Maricopa County came out, who's a pretty solid, no nonsense, you know, you're a pretty Republican guy, but but um, he's you know he's the sheriff of the county, and he came out yesterday and said he had never seen anything like this, that the voter intimidation, as you say, armed people following people from their homes to the ballot boxes, hanging around the ballot boxes and fully loaded up, deliberately looking intimidating and then following people away again. And um, they're intimidating workers. They're intimidating. They're intimidating. They're, they're ju- it, it, it's a concerted effort to to intimidate voters. Um, it's a, he seems to think that it's it's um, targeting Democrats, targeting people who would be likely to vote Democratic, um, and and that would be minorities, and that would be people who who basically these guys have decided they look like a Democratic voter, and we're going to you know push them away from the polls. Now he was really um, frustrated when he spoke, and he said. You know, A, he'd never seen anything like it in his history, in law enforcement ever. But B, he said, we are now having to divert resources. So what's happening now is the the sheriff of Maricopa County, which includes Phoenix and, you know, which is a big city. He said, we're now having to divert resources from other areas to put them outside polls where normally we might have you know, a cop here and there outside the big ones. And now they're having to send police units to to wait outside of the polls to stop people from being intimidated. This is just terrifying. And, and you know, and for the workers as well. But but this goes back to, I mean, you know, you think the 1960s when, when black voters were being harassed and intimidated by white people who didn't think they should be allowed to vote, you know, after Lyndon Johnson's 1965 Voting Rights Act. And and it's just appalling. And, and of course, way before that as well. Um, and as I said, that, you know, when you have law enforcement coming out in a deep red state and basically saying that all of their guys, you know, 
the police who are being dragged here, there and everywhere um, are really frustrated by this and angered by it and, and just feel it's disgusting and un-American. I think, you know, I think you get the response there that, that but yet mm. it's not being condemned by Republicans. I haven't seen any Republicans come out and say, stop this. I certainly haven't seen Carrie Lake, who's the Republican firebrand who's running for governor in Arizona and will very likely uh, be elected. And, and mark my words, she'll be very likely the answer to, to the Italian prime minister. She is an up and coming, surging Republican firebrand, much more effective and much more dangerous than Marjorie Taylor Greene or any of those sort of Trump acolytes, although she is one as well. And the difference with her is she's smart and she's media trained and she's, you know, she's a lot more strategic in, in the way that she operates. But I'm digressing. So yeah, Arizona is a perfect example of the sort of voter intimidation that's going on, but it's happening in Georgia as well. It's happening in Pennsylvania, I've heard too. It's happening in in states where they're, you know, the 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 candidates are neck and neck, which they are in this is like a, a traditional presidential election in two ways, in that, as I said, Trump won't get off the stage. So it's not about the current candidate. It's it's about the the next likely one a little bit, but also in that the races are neck and neck and you still have about half a dozen swing states are going to decide who controls the Senate in 2023. And if the Republicans control the Senate in 2023, Joe Biden may as well take a long holiday for two years and, and just go mm. fishing because yeah. he will get nothing done. Nothing done. Um you know, Marion, you poo-pooed the idea a couple of weeks ago when I brought it to you of violence in connection with voting in America. And you kind of said, well, look, there's very good police. There's a very good military yeah. there. Um, were you at all surprised to hear this stuff? And what, if anything, is going to happen as a result of uh, this trend? Because it's now, as you say, it's spreading a bit. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there there was... Um, I. When we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, and I do remember the conversation, and I think what I was saying was, I don't think it's going to stop people voting um, in, in the mm. way that sometimes when you really try and take something from somebody, they become twice as determined at the right to, yeah. to exercise it. It almost has the opposite effect. Uh, so I don't think it's going to affect voter turnout. I think it's an ugly look. I think it's another sign that democracy in America is being chipped away at. It's another sign of this horrible tribalism that really... You know, historically, if you look at other countries, it only ends in one way, and that is in violence, you know, eventually or even intermittently. So I, I think that we were talking about voter turnout. Already 14 million Americans have voted, which is kind of nuts. It's nuts, basically. It's, it's presidential, 2020 presidential levels, yeah. and that was a huge turnout year. So that suggests if you look at where people are turning out, it's quite interesting. You know, if if the Republic I beg your pardon, if the Democrats had fifty-two Stacey Abrams, <laughs> they, they would they would be or or even fifty we'll say, um, or even five, they would be laughing because Stacey Abrams has what she has done for voter turnout, for voter registration, for voter representation in Georgia alone in 2020, she enrolled over a million new voters. That was Jeepers. what turned Georgia blue. That was how Joe Biden won the state of Georgia 
It was also how Georgia went from having two Republican senators to two Democratic senators, which everybody almost had a stroke over back in 2020. It was unthinkable. But this was down to Stacey Abrams, who didn't just start this work, you know, in 2020. She started it back in 2016. And then she got funding for it and she got people involved and it had a massive effect. The problem is, as I said, there's only one Stacey Abrams. And the Democrats have been really lazy and negligent about registering voters in what they regard as red states. And the attitude is kind of, ah, oh, well, the Republicans are going to win that one anyway. Well, Stacey Abrams didn't take no for an answer. And, and we saw the results of that. Uh, so um, already over a million people have voted in Georgia. Now, the polls aren't suggesting she's running for governor in Georgia. Mm. It's her second time against Brian Kemp. Now, the last time there was a lot of suspicion that she had been cheated. It was neck and neck. It was so close. And there was there was a sense amongst a lot of people that she possibly had won that race. But you know what? Brian Kemp is governor. There's no point in election denying he was the governor and that was it. But she's running again now. Um, at this time round, she doesn't seem to be doing as well in the polls. But, you know, I find the polls are just adding to the confusion at this stage. But we also have Raphael Warnock, who was elected in 2020 in a special Senate race. It was just to replace somebody until their, you know, who had disappeared or died or whenever until their term was up. And uh, so he's now running the Democrat, Raphael Warnock, a very formidable, very articulate black preacher against Herschel Walker, who is an NBA and NFA, I should say. Icon. NFL, yeah. He's but but there's been another scandal out about him earlier today where a second woman, we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, um, where a former girlfriend of his said that he pressured her to have an abortion and paid for it. And, and then he tried to um, force her to abort their second child when she became pregnant again. She kept that child. It, it's and she, it's a son. Uh, he also had three other. He apart from the one son that he recognises who emerged, he had three other secret children. And now today, another woman in Georgia has come out and said he also pressured me to have an abortion to the point that she basically gave in, and he drove her to have the abortion and paid for it. So that's being said already today, and he's come out and denied it and said, I'm not even going to address this. This is ridiculous, et cetera, et cetera. And, but I don't know if it matters, because like I said, talking about the tribe thing, Republicans could not care less if they sent an inflation blimp to the Senate. In 2023, they just want somebody who will press the yes lever when Republicans want something and who will press the no lever when Democrats want something. And that can be anyone. That can be basically anyone who can tell who can tell a yes button from a no button. Uh, so they mm. they are just sending him there as a stooge. And I almost feel sorry for the guy. He's patently unsuited to being a senator and and, and mentally yeah. uh, like in difficulty. Yeah. Let's be also honest, based on the evidence that's in front of yeah. us. Yeah, and has uh, said so himself. And and you know also has a record of domestic violence. And you know has lied repeatedly about his CV. He's completely unfit for office. And I mean not just morally, but I. Think I think where I would have simply for him is mentally. He's he has spoken quite honestly about his mental problems. Uh, so, but it doesn't matter because, as I said, it's back to he puts on the red jersey and that's it. And they kick the asses out of the guys in blue. So uh, well, he could still win. He could still win. He could still win. I mean, and this was what we talked about. If people want to go back to the um, Republican clown car episode where uh, we talked about 
this random selection of oddballs and lunatics. I can't remember the exact terms that you used, Marion, but we went down through each one and it did seem absurd in some cases to think that any of them could be elected, including the person I'm about to mention now, uh, Mehmet Oz. Hi. Democrat John Fetterman's debate oh, performance. Dreadful. Uh, this week has intensified the focus on his recovery from a stroke. Not the greatest performance, you'd have to say, ever, Marion, in a debate. I do support fracking, and I don't, I don't, I support fracking, and I stand, and I do support fracking. I'm the only person on this stage right now that is successful about pushing back against gun violence and being the community more safe. You know, all he's done is just put a plan up on his website in the last 24 hours. When was the stroke, first of all? Because I seem to have missed this. And surely it's not fair to ask him to stand after such a traumatic uh, medical experience. You know, yeah, I think you're right. I I watched that debate and I thought, oh dear, you know, um, because it's not that Democrats won't vote for Fetterman. I said this back, this is back to the tribal thing um, because they will. And it's not that Republicans won't vote for Oz um, because they will too. But Pennsylvania has got quite a few independent voters and moderate Republicans. And I think that they could have looked that performance and thought, well, should we be electing this guy? Not on other than is he is he medically, you know, will he be able to to go to Washington? Now I thought that, you know, he had the stroke in June. It was apparently a very serious stroke, just um so the, the gang out there gets an idea. John Fetterman is this huge six foot nine guy who looks Nothing like a senator, like anybody's idea. He's got a sort of a long goatee beard. He's shaved his head. He's covered in tattoos. Uh, he wears a hoodie all the time and sort of cargo pants. And that's his look. He looks more like he could be a MAGA bro. If I saw him at a Trump rally, I wouldn't be even slightly surprised. But yet he is seen as the heir to Bernie Sanders. He's seen as the, he's got a huge charisma. Um, people just like him. Democrats like him. Young Democrats love him. You know, and he was seen before he had the stroke as this up-and-coming guy who would really keep the left wing of the Democrats honest, and he would really, you know, be a touchstone out there. Now he was the the um, the mayor of of a what town was in Pennsylvania. I I don't remember now. It wasn't a huge town, and he did an okay job. But he was he was always very popular because there's something about the guy, a bit like Sanders. You can't put your finger on it, but you know you like it. You recognize as as being authentic or whatever. Anyway, the stroke yeah. really um, affected him. Obviously, it was a major stroke. Uh, he, for three months, he was off the campaign trail. He couldn't like he he wasn't seen at all because he was recovering. And even though he had disappeared from the campaign trail, Mehmet Oz, Doctor Oz, as we know him from of TV fame and peddling dodgy nutritional things that'll make you lose two stone overnight, etc. That fame, um, he couldn't get a, a traction on the polls because, you know, people were, they just didn't really like him and they were giving uh, Fetterman a chance to recover. So the first real sign that, that people saw Fetterman was um, during this debate, which was pretty late in the day, 26th of October, when the midterms are a week or two later. And I thought it wasn't so much that he didn't seem to have recovered from the stroke. When he was asked about fracking, and, you know, he was for it once and then he was against it or vice versa. He was against it once and now he's for it. He didn't have a good answer. 
I suspect he wouldn't ha- have had a good answer anyway, but um, he, his, he seemed to be fumbling his response and that was construed as being because of his stroke. But now in the last couple of hours, even, I would say, Jarlis, there's been a bit of a pushback against the Republicans going, oh, look at that guy. Did you see him? And people are saying, look, this guy is heroically fighting back from a medical condition that he had. Um, Obviously, it affected him and he's doing his best. And we're not going to, you know, people should not be penalising him and certainly not ridiculing him for that, which has been happening a bit. So I'm not sure. I can't call it. I mean, there's, you know, on on a good day, there's no way Oz would, would have a chance against Fetterman. As I say, he's got that political talent that you recognise it when you see it, whereas Oz just seems like this sort of phony guy who, who um, not the worst of the Republican candidates, but certainly one of the more ridiculous, really. You know, that... that yeah, very yeah. disconnected, yeah. We, we, as we discussed with his uh, his visit to the supermarket yeah. to talk oh, about the... Crudités. Uh, <laughs> the crudité. I mean... I mean, the crudité, Charles, honestly. It's really hung around his neck for a while, but... But in Pennsylvania, I mean, what places. would it take for... <laughs> get rid yeah, of California. <laughs> We we never we never thought that he would make a comeback in this, and it was literally a case of yeah. hanging in there, hanging in there, yeah. and hoping that his opponent, you know, suffered a stroke. Pretty and, much, you know, yeah. And that was his only shot at this. What other uh, races are you looking at and going, "Wow, I never thought that this would go red." Uh, there has to be a couple that. Are surprising people. Well, are indeed conversely blue, but we'll get to that in a moment. I'm keeping an eye on Colorado, which seemed to have been, you know, it's it's pretty well a blue state now. It's you know they say it's purple, but it's blue. Um, Michael Bennett, the Colorado um, Democrat, popular, well liked, uncontroversial, is being given a run for his money now by a guy called Joe O'Shea, a, a moderate Republican, like not a MAGA guy at all. And he's kept Trump out of the state, kind of taking something out of the Glenn Young book, Glenn Youngkin playbook. You may remember that he was the guy who who won the governorship. He beat Terry McAuliffe to become governor of West Virginia whenever he thought, or of Virginia, I'm sorry, whenever he thought it was a shoe-in for Terry McAuliffe, veteran Democrat, huge national profile, former governor of um Virginia. And Youngkin did it by keeping Trump out of the state, off his campaign trail, and seeming as inoffensive as possible. And that's what Joe O'Shea is kind of doing in in Colorado. I don't know if he will actually, you know, win, but certainly he's giving, he's giving, um, as I said, uh, Bennett a, a run for his money and a bit of a scare. So, But I, I think the one that might turn blue which people did not expect, might be um, Ohio. And this is where, of course, we have J.D. Vance, author of Hillbilly Elegy, um, former Trump critic turned Trump's acolyte and (laughs) turned craven Trump acolyte uh, and and who has had all kinds of bizarre positions and all kinds of things. Um, And uh, he is... Ohio is a red state. It's a red state. People say it's purple. It's been red for as long as I can remember. I've been there so many times. There's not even a whisper of blue anywhere I've been. Um, so he, the, the the Democrat guy is a guy called Tim Ryan, a kind of a big, blocky, solid, the sort of politician you saw in America everywhere 30 years ago. You know, big 50-something male, so, solid, mediocre, you know, not objectionable, but certainly wouldn't set the world on fire either. Um, and he is picking up ground in Ohio and it's neck and neck this race. Now, Trump is swanning in there next week. 
to campaign with J.D. Vance, even though he said J.D. Vance was an ass kisser and God knows what else, uh, pretty much. <laughs> that, that you know, Trump has, clearly there's very little love lost on, on Trump's side anyway for J.D. Vance, but he still is going to go in and, and he thinks save the day and then he he will own Vance forever. Vance will be forever his bitch. You know, so, so basically that's that's another mess of a show that's going on up there and as um you have let me think what are the other races got you know north carolina it's possible that that could turn blue which would be very surprising but you know i always think north carolina is a bit like texas it's like the democrats wet dream they always think oh god we might just get it blue this time it might just work and then you know when push comes to shove it it, it stays firmly red but um, I'm also watching a lot of the governor's race. And I know we've spoken about this before and the Secretary of State races, because they are the races that are really going to count in 2024, because it'll be the governors and the Secretary of States who will oversee the vote count. Uh, the Secretaries of State have to certify it. And, you know, and these a lot, there are people who are running purely on the notion that if you vote for me, I will fix 2024 for you. And we've, we've talked about this before. I'll fix mm. it so that Trump wins in 2024. And that's literally the only thing they're running on to become Secretary of State. And it's it's kind of alarming. And we'll see if it works. You know, again, yeah. hard to tell. As I've said, you know, Gerald, I was talking to somebody yesterday. And I, I said, it wouldn't surprise me if the Democrats barely held the House and held the Senate. It wouldn't surprise me if they were run out of the House and if they lost the Senate. And it wouldn't surprise me if they lost the House and, and held on to the Senate. So anything could happen this election. Because as I said, all certainties are off. The only thing we really see is tribalism. But also the, the Republicans, they, they each have three things, if you will. So the Republicans have the economy, they have inflation, and they have basically the price of petrol, and all those things are connected. Um, and, mm. you know, the, just the cost of living. And th these are things that people feel every day, they physically feel it, whereas the Democrats are running on much more abstract concepts, I think. They're running on, we might be bad, but we're not as bad as those lunatics. That, that sort of concept, number one. Uh, they're running on the abortion issue, which is a huge issue, and it has resulted in a surge of registration of voters amongst uh, younger people, men and women. Um, but I'm not sure that, you know, it, look, it, it comes down to if you're a mother or father of three or four kids and you're making $600 a week. And before you had, you know, that was what you were getting after all the cutbacks and that was what you had to spend. And now your $600 a week is only worth about $500 a week and there's no fat to trim. You're not going to be as concerned about the overturning as Roe v. Wade. You know, and, mm. and, and this is really, it. you know, the things that affect you directly are going to be much more um, sort of, you know, resonant. They're going to be much more, they're at the top of your shopping list. Like if the economy was sailing along and inflation was at 2%, I think people would vote on the basis of the threat to democracy that these Republican candidates represent, which is a big one the Democrats are pushing. They're more or less saying, do you want a democracy or not? Because if you want a democracy, you better vote blue. And, you know, and I don't think it's too exaggerated with some of the candidates, certainly. And then, as I said, the abortion. And, and then they're trying to say, look, you know, we're 
you know, if you think we're bad, look at the other gang, which is sort of connected. Mm. But as I said, these are more abstract. They're not getting this sort of immediate traction. That would yeah, be very hard yeah. to articulate yeah. that exactly. point, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, uh, but the US economy grew by 2.6 percent. Yeah. Uh, that was the annual rate from July to September. That's what the government said on Thursday. Uh, is that a strong rebound after the national gross domestic product shrank in the first two quarters of the year? Or is it a mirage? In the second half of our discussion, we're going to get into a little bit more of how you, you can't polish a turd, but you can roll it in glitter. And it feels like that is exactly what Joe Biden is attempting to do here, because we all know that this recession is on the way. And one person who's definitely going to feel the pinch is Kanye West, who, according to himself, lost $2 billion this week. We're going to talk about all of that. You need to hear the rest of this conversation. Come on over to patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad to gain access to hundreds of old episodes, big interviews, feature interviews, spin-off series, and every week with Marion, the full episode of Irishman in America. Welcome, if you are signed up here to the new feed, the new channel. Uh, this gives us the opportunity to jump on when the shit hits the fan sometimes, Marion. It would be great to get a bow out here for, for the listeners, because we all need clarity on some of the stuff that's happening in the land of the free. And that's why you're here. So thanks so much, Marion. We'll talk about all of that in the second half of the show. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? This is America. A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged espionage against our people. You condemn any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our democracy.